daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the glory of the angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. They were afraid as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Parents, you're not alone in having to tell your kids, hey, listen, listen to this guy. God the Father there even says, hey, this is Jesus, listen to him. Um, Well, we want to listen to him and we want to listen to his word this morning. Um, It's the first Sunday, and so on that that first Sunday we have the kids in here. So kids, um, if y'all get bored with me, uh, I'm sorry, I get bored with myself sometimes, but uh, you've got some things hopefully you can work on there. Um, But try and pay attention, and I actually need your help on this question because kids tend to be a little more honest than than those of us who've grown up a little more. The question is this, what do you love the most? What do you love the most? What are some things that you really love? You really, really like it. What do you think? Your children, yeah. Video games, I hear it. I hear the chatter. What else, what do you love? Roller skating, yeah. What else? Rain, yeah. God, good answer. My family, that's right. How do you know these things that you love, how do you know that you love them? How do you know that those are things you care about so much? Do you ever think about it? They bring joy, yeah. You spend time with them, Mm -hmm. you think about them, sometimes we worry about them, pray for them, right? The things that we love, the things that we love have an impact on us. They have an impact on on the way we do our life. And the question today is really kind of um, pushing into that a little bit of the what do we love and how do we know that we love it? We're, We're this summer, we're doing this series and we're talking about worship and we're talking today about adoration 
When, when we love something, we adore something. When we adore something, we are, we are talking about it. We're, we're spending time thinking about it. We're telling other people about it. And that's how you know that you adore something. Let me just give you an example. So uh, years ago when I worked at Barnes & Noble, <clears throat> I was over on the book side, and they are like, hey, we need you to sell, sell books, sell book after book after book. And I'm like, if they're like me, they have a shelf at home full of books they haven't read. They don't need another book. So then they moved me over into the cafe side, and now I'm there with food. And I'm telling everybody that comes, hey, have you tried this brownie yet? It's amazing. Hey, you need to try this thing. On my break, I would always go find something so that I hadn't tried, and I would try it. And I spent all that time. Which thing, which thing did I love more? wasn't the books. It was my belly. So that is a question for us today is what do we love more than anything? How do we show that we adore it? Would we maybe even say, looking at these things, that we, we treasure them, that these are things that we treasure? Well, as we're talking about worship, uh, a pastor named John Piper says this. He says that Christian worship is this. It is treasuring God above all else. Christian worship is this, treasuring God above all else. And adoration, which we're, we're thinking about today, is expressing that. So you're treasuring God above all else, and then you are expressing that, and you're beginning to express that. And so the question then becomes, how do we do that? And we're going to look at Psalm 96, Psalm 96 for that today. Psalm 96, let's read the first six verses together. It says, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him, strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. What did you hear? What did you hear about the focus of this passage as, as you're watching it, as you're listening to it, as you're reading it? Who is the main focus of these words. Oh, sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless whose name? His name. Declare His glory among all the nations. Everything that's going on in this passage is focusing on one thing. It is focusing on God and God alone. Why? Well, the answer is that worship is all about God. And so these words of adoration, these words of treasuring God are focusing themselves on God. Adoration, in, in its right understanding, adoration should be focusing on God first and foremost. Imagine something, if you would. Imagine um, you know, your friend has a birthday, and so you go and you buy him a gift, and you think, oh, this is just the right gift. And then you give him the gift, and what do we start doing? 
We all do it to some degree. What do we start doing? Hey, don't you love it? Hey, uh, open my next. You're going to love this thing that I got you. Isn't it awesome? Hey, how much do you love it? I'm a good friend, right? Who's the focus there? It's not the friend. The focus is on, is on me. Look what I've done. Look how devoted I am. Look how, how prayerful I am. It, when we begin to do those things, what's happening is instead of treasuring God, what we're doing is we're treasuring ourselves. And we're saying, Lord, look at, look at how good I am. I came here on Sunday morning. It was hard to get up today. And I made it. And I'm here. Don't you love that? He does. He does, by the way. He's glad you're here. We are too. But, but that focus, it, there's that temptation to constantly focus back on ourselves. These first six verses are all focusing on God. They, they are all about not, not treasuring me and how good I am at gift giving, not treasuring me and how good I am at, at, at singing or praying or, or, or focusing or whatever. It, it's about God. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Great is the Lord greatly to be praised. Splendor and majesty are before Him, not before me and what I can do. That's why... That's why we begin to read in verse 7, we begin to read some more commands here. It says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name, bring an offering, come into His courts, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, tremble before Him all the earth. Here it is, ascribe to the Lord, it's saying, tell Him about something. Tell him, ascribe to the Lord. Tell him about his glory and his strength. Tell him about the glory that he deserves. Bring an offering to him. Come into his courts. Begin to tell God about who God is. We do that on Sunday mornings. We do it in all kinds of different ways. We do it with the songs that we sing. We do it with the scriptures that we read. The prayers that we pray, we do it with different instruments. Uh, we we do it um, uh, in in all kinds of. We do it with different postures. Sometimes we're sitting, sometimes we're standing. We're Presbyterian, so we're usually not raising our hands. But you can do that. That's okay. But we we do that. We are ascribing to God. We are telling Him about His strength, His beauty. We we are are recognizing the character of God, and we are telling Him about who He is. Why do we do that? Did God forget? Did he lose track of who he is? Maybe, maybe he's an egomaniac. Maybe he's the, the me monster, right? You know, well, I've said enough about me. You say something about me. Is that what's going on with God? No. God, in telling us to do this, in telling us to, to talk about who He is, to sing about who He is, as God is doing that, what's happening is He's actually telling us to do what is best for us. You see, we all treasure. We all treasure something more than anything else. We all have that internal struggle. Um, it could be toys. It could be sports. It could be friends. It could be family. It could be money. It could be respect. It could be free time. It could be video games. But we all have that struggle 
of treasuring something more than anything else, even really, really good things. We have that struggle of treasuring them more even than God. And, and what we heard, what you heard, I hope you heard, is, is that the thing that we treasure affects us. I could see it in your faces as you're even calling out, here's something that I treasure and you say it and your face lights up, you know, or maybe you say it and, and you get a little concerned, like what if something happens to it? Because the thing that we treasure the most affects us. When my team is winning, I feel good. When my team is losing, oh, it's a bad year. It's just a bad year. Maybe it'll be better next year. I know one guy who had to stop watching basketball because of his team, whether his team was winning or losing, he was so wrapped up in it, he would get sick to his stomach, physically sick. When I have enough money, I feel safe. I feel strong. I feel everything's okay. But if I don't have enough, I feel vulnerable. I feel anxious. I feel concerned. Um, when, when I have the thing that I treasure, I know who I am. I'm an athlete. I'm a teacher. I'm a musician. I'm a gamer. I'm whatever. But when I lose that thing, what happens to my identity? I don't know who I am anymore. You hurt your leg. You can't run track. Who, who, who am I if I'm not a runner? When we treasure things other than God, more than God, it affects us. Whatever we treasure, whatever we put in that highest place affects us. And if we put anything other than God there, what happens when those things are threatened? What happens when I'm afraid it might be threatened? The reality is this. We were made to treasure something that is unchanging, something that is permanent, something that, that is the highest good. We, we are supposed to take the highest good or, or English teachers, close your ears, the goodest good, we were meant to take that thing and, and, and hold it there in that place where it's supposed to be. And there is only one thing that deserves that place, and that is God. God made us to treasure Him. And so when, when we do that, and when God says, ascribe to the Lord His glory, ascribe to Him His strength, what He's doing is He's telling us to do what is best for us. See, when, when we adore someone else, if I start telling my kids, hey, you're awesome, you're wonderful, you're, you're beautiful, you're amazing, you're smart, you're kind, I'm building them up. God does not need to be built up. God does not need our words, but we need them because when we adore Him and when we put Him in that place and we begin to, to look at our lives and see the things God's done, to say, God, you, you are good. You are loving. You are kind. You are gracious. You are merciful. What's happening is it is rooting us in the character of God, and it's actually building us up too so that now I can survive disappointment, heartache, loss, because I know who God is. Um, um, I don't lose myself when things are really, really good, or when I'm really happy or successful, because I know who God is. When God tells us to treasure Him more than anything else, 
He is telling us to do what is best for us. He is, he is telling us what belongs in that place of the highest good, what belongs in that place of what we should treasure the most. And it is something, someone permanent. Everything else that you put there can be taken away. It, it, it can leave. It can be destroyed. It can lose its, its meaning and its value except for God. Except for God and His eternal unchanging love. And so what we have to do is we have to train our hearts into this reality because it's not natural. Ever since Genesis 3, it is not natural for us to put God in that place and to remember where He actually is. It's not natural. And so we have to train our hearts into this reality. And so there's a woman named Kathleen Chapman. And and I want all of you to do this. Okay, Everyone to do this. We're, just, we're not going to do it for a real long time, but I just want you to do this. I want you to close your eyes and spend the next 30 seconds focused and fixed only on God, trying to have every thought adore Him. Not, not saying I, me, but saying you. And I just want you to try this. So just close your eyes, wherever you are, just close your eyes, and for 30 seconds, just tell God about who He is. How was it? Easy? Hard? If we went longer than 30 seconds, you'd find your mind starting to wonder. And every single one of us, every single one of us would, would fail at this exercise. And that is the bad news. That's the bad news is, is here's this thing. Here's what we need to do. Here's, here's a one way that we can do it. I mean, you can even use like the ABCs and you can go through the ABCs and, and God, you're, you're awesome. God, you're, you're beautiful. Um, you know, God, you're cool. I don't know if anybody even says that anymore. But, but you can go through the ABCs and you can start doing that. But, but every one of us will start to wonder. We will start to wonder and we will start to fail. The bad news is, if we served any other God, one of these gods of culture or what, what the Scripture here in verse 5 says, the gods of the peoples, if, if we served any other God, we would fail at this and that would be really bad news. But verses 10 through 13 uh, actually bring a lot of comfort to me in this. It says this, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad, verse 11, and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. You see, all of these supposed gods, they all care about how you worship them. They all care not just about how you worship them, they care about how good at it you are. And so if you serve Allah, well, you better pray right. You better bow right. You better fast right. And you better do it in the right times and the right ways. If you serve any of the thousands of Hindu gods, well, you better live right and you better worship them right or you might come back as a cockroach. 
If you serve the gods of culture, then you better believe right. You better use the right language or else you're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be, you're going to be torn down. That people are going to aim against you. But when we hear this language about God, about Yahweh coming and judging the world in righteousness and faithfulness, that's actually really good news for us because as we are worshiping Him and we're not quite doing it right, what we know is our confidence isn't in our own goodness and how good we can do that. It is in His goodness. That's why we don't come to God. You know, in, if you were in ancient Greek and you were worshiping Zeus, you come to Zeus and you give him what you think he might like to eat, and then you tell him all the things that, that you did for him. We don't do that. We come to God in confidence in what He's done. We come before Him and we tell Him about what He has done and how good He is. And so we read this, He'll judge with equity and justness. Oh Lord, but I've been guilty. I've done wrong things. He's going to judge with righteousness and faithfulness, but Lord, I've been unrighteous. I have been unfaithful. The heavens be glad, the earth rejoice, but God, won't I be judged? I don't think I'm glad about that. If it depended on you, you'd be right. But that's not what we see, and that's not what we see in Scripture. What we see is something different. So imagine this. Imagine it's test day. I know it's summer. There's no school. And maybe some of you are going to like have a test dream tonight, and I'm sorry. But imagine it's test day, and you walk in, and here's the exam, and you just don't know anything on there, and you're just guessing at everything, and maybe you get some of them right, and then you look over there, and there's that one kid that you know is going to throw off the curve. You know they're just going to get everything right, and they, they take the test, and they're done in record time, and they go up, and they turn their exam in, and then you kind of slink up at the end of class, and there's yours, and you throw it in there. And the next week, the teacher comes back, and she's graded the tests, and she says, well, I'm sure this is no surprise. Um, Someone got a perfect score. Actually, a lot of you got a perfect score. And then she starts to read the names. Marclean, Calvin, Ender, Lena, Jack, Michael, Grace. She starts reading the names of the other kids. And the one name that isn't mentioned is that kid over there. You see, they exchange their test. And instead of putting their own name, they put down the names of everyone else in the class. And they said, here. Give them, give them my grade. Give them what I did. Let, let, let what I did be theirs. And, and take theirs and give it to me. See, that's, that's what happens when, when you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I can't bring anything. I, I, I failed the test and I'll fail it again. As he says, here, I actually passed it for you. That's all you need. That's all you need. And so because of Jesus, because of what he has done on our behalf, we can look at this, that the Lord will judge the world in righteousness, including you and me, and we can be glad because we don't have to stand on our own. We don't have to stand there with our own grade. We get to stand there with his. 
Jesus always had perfect worship of the Father, always had perfect adoration, always had perfect obedience, and he offers it to you and to me by grace alone. And that is why, I love the way Tim Keller puts it. He says this, he says, in Jesus, in Jesus you stop having to prove yourself. Do we have that, Lexi? I didn't write down the whole quote, so. In Jesus you stop having to prove yourself because you know it doesn't really matter in the end whether you are a failure or a king. All you need is God's grace, and you can have it in spite of your failures. After you know him, you want to live your life to please him. But you don't have to clean up your life in order to know him as Savior, and that brings peace inwardly. See, that is why we adore him. That is why we adore him is because he's done what we could never do. And so when we come in here, we talk about Jesus a lot and we pray and we, we sing about Jesus and we do all of this stuff and we're talking about him the whole time. And even when we come into it, it's in relation to him and what he has done because he's done it all, all on our behalf. And so that is why we come in here and we adore him. We adore, adore the Father for sending the Son. We adore the Holy Spirit for, for applying that salvation into our hearts. We adore Him. Not because of what we've done and not to prove how good we are, but because He is good and because of what He has done for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You. You are good.